Hey, listen, I want you to get your Bibles, and uh, I want you to turn uh, to the book of Luke, and then we're going to go to the book of Matthew. But this morning, as, as uh, Paul mentioned a moment ago, we're beginning a brand new series on prayer. And we, we spent several weeks um, working on trying to come up with a real, just a, a very creative title for this series. And we've got a lot of awesome creative minds that are part of Westridge Church. And so we put all these creative minds in the room, and I said, let's come up with something really creative, something that grabs people. And so for a month, they just back and forth. And I mean, so when they came up with something that was so dynamic and creative, it just blew me away. The, the prayer series. So I went, man, you guys are so creative. But I was like, it is what it is. I mean, it's the prayer series. And so, but one of the creative things that we did come out uh, with is we are going to, we, we want you, and we, we've created an opportunity as we go through this series for all of us to, to uh, read Psalms together. You know, the Psalms are a collection of prayers. And so we, are, we put together uh, 30 days in the Psalms, and you can see it on our website. Uh, as you walk out the door, you, you'll be handed something that will be um, an opportunity for, you, for all of us to be kind of on the same page. You can start it tomorrow. Uh, we're going to be reading through the Psalms. And then Monday through Friday, we're going to put some, uh, on our Facebook page and on, at westridge.com, we're going to put some um, connections back to you and questions about the Psalms that we're reading. And so you can go on there and, and just be awesome if we're all reading that together. And if you really, you really study church history, if you look at revivals and, and real, where movements of God happen, people were praying the Psalms during, during times like that. So I'm really looking forward to us being able to connect together and read through the Psalms and pray those together. And uh, we also have a prayer blog on there that Paul will talk about at the end of the service. But, you know, I'm just, I want to tell you, I'm, I'm really excited about this series because I love this topic and I love the text that we're going to be teaching from. And we're going to take an in-depth look, line by line, over the next six weeks at the most famous of all prayers. It's the prayer that we call the Lord's Prayer, and it's the prayer that we together recited just a moment ago. But I want you to think about how many times that you have heard that prayer or that you have uh, maybe said that prayer or maybe you were forced to say that prayer. Um, you know, you think about all, all I have to do is say, you know, for me growing up in, 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 in the church, kind of a King James world, our Father who art in heaven. And you, most of you in this room, you would just take off with that. You would just know exactly where to go with it and you would finish it off. And uh, because it's so familiar to us. But what I'm, what I'm wondering is, how many of us have really ever thought about the meaning behind the lines that are in that prayer? How many have ever really dissected those words and, and just thought to ourselves, okay, you know, Jesus, if you said this prayer, when, you're, when your disciples asked you how to pray, why did you say, when you pray, I want you to pray in this manner? Now, listen to this. Jesus never said, pray this prayer. He said, pray in this manner. And so, obviously, it must be very important, these words and these lines, and we're going to take them apart and really talk about what Jesus said here, because if, if we're going to learn how to pray, then we need to learn from the best. And as we dive into this text, and there's going to be a lot of questions that we're going to try to answer when it comes to the issue of prayer, and hopefully we're going to answer many of those questions. Now, and, and there's not a better person to learn from, obviously, than Jesus himself, because Jesus not only modeled how to pray, but he taught us how to pray. Now, I would also guess that, that if we were to take a poll this morning, and if I would have you raise your hands, and I'm not going to do that, but, but I, I wonder how many of you would, would say, you know what, I struggle with this issue. When it comes to the issue of prayer, I really, truly struggle with this whole thing. I struggle with having a, a consistent prayer life. 
Maybe you struggle with wondering if God is actually listening. You prayed before and, and you didn't hear or maybe it wasn't answered the way that you wanted it to or whatever. Or, and you just, you just wonder, I don't even know if he actually cares. And maybe you struggle with the idea of pray, prayer because you don't know what to say to God. You, you don't know how to pray. And so that stops you because you're intimidated by the whole issue of, of praying to God. What do I say to him? And then many of you, you believe in prayer, you understand it, you, you know there's power in it, I mean, you know the importance of it, but you just don't do it. And I'll confess to you that over the, the many years that I've been a follower of Jesus, um, I have had some of these struggles, the same struggles that I just mentioned. I've experienced some of those very same things. Why do we struggle with this issue? Why, why do we struggle with prayer? I, I think, first of all, there's many reasons, but I'm just going to give you three. One of, them, one of them is just pride. Many of you are, 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 you're probably like me in this room. You're a get it done, fix it type person. If it's not being done, you're going to jump in and you're going to do it yourself. And, and that's kind of how I am, unless it involves tools, all right? But you're, you're, if there's a problem, you're going to go in, you're going to be the first to tackle it because you're a take action person. Maybe you're a very self-sufficient person. You're, you're not needy. You, I mean, you, you, know, you just believe in your own ability I mean, you, and your own willpower to get things done. So sometimes out of that, man, get it, just get it done, can-do mentality, um, you end up neglecting this amazing gift called prayer and, and that close fellowship that, that prayer produces. Well, what is that? Well, let's just call it what it is. It's pride. I mean, it, it, it's this, I, God, I can do it. I'm good. I've got this one, God. I'll call you when I need you. I'm really good. Listen, that's just pride, all right? Second reason we struggle with this is just because we don't feel that God is actually listening. And a lot of times that can turn into just simply impatience. How often have we, have we prayed for something and it didn't happen when we wanted it to or it just didn't happen? It didn't happen. It, it maybe appeared that God was just silent on the issue or he wasn't listening. And so our impatience got the best of us and we jumped in and we thought, God, obviously you need my help. So we jumped in and tried to help God out. I think of a story in Genesis um, where God comes to this guy by the name of Abram. And he says, Abram, I'm going to make you a father of a great nation. Matter of fact, it's going to be my nation. And Abram and his wife Sarah, they take off and they leave and, and they begin to go into this land that will become their land. And as time goes on, um, Abram's waiting and said, you know, obviously if he's going to make me a nation, he's going to have to give me children. And there's a point in scripture where Abraham gets to be about 80-something years old and he still has not had a child. And so his wife Sarah, who is in her 70s, she comes up with this brilliant idea. Obviously God's not working here, so I'm going to step in and try to help this out. So she offers Abraham her servant, Hagar, who is an Egyptian woman. And, and she says, Abraham, I want you to sleep with her so that we can have an offspring, so that God can make a great nation of you. And so that's what he does. And he ends up having a son by the name of Ishmael. Now, you, as you can imagine, as soon as this boy is born, Sarah, as, there's, there's conflict in the house, all right? you know, there's a baby in the house, all right? It's not Sarah's baby. She's not been able to have children up to this point. And now Hagar has the boy and it's Ishmael and Abraham is, I mean, you can imagine, I mean, there's, there's the promised child and it's not good. It's conflict, war. And so Hagar and Ishmael are sent out. And several years later, Abraham's 99, Sarah's 90 and they have a baby whose name is Isaac. Now, if you were to go back in the Jewish, the Jewish people, all right, and if they were to trace back all the way back to where it all began in their mind, it's Abraham. 
Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and then it goes from there, all right? Now, if you were to go, like for us as believers, as followers of Jesus Christ, as Christians, we trace our lineage back. We start where Jesus, whose father was Joseph, and you go all the way back, to be, and you can see this in Matthew, goes all the way back to who? Abraham. Abraham all the way down comes up to Jesus. Now, if you were to trace the Muslim faith and go all the way back to where they say this is where this began, who, who, where do they go back to? Abraham, who had a son by the name of Ishmael. Ishmael, who had an Egyptian mother, who was sent away. And, she, and the Bible says that Ishmael would be a wild donkey of a man and he would be in conflict with everyone for all of... And he would have descendants as many as the stars. And then the other thing is just, and many of you will relate to this, we just feel inadequate. We don't know how. We, we just, I mean, I don't even know what to pray for. I wouldn't even know where to start. Listen, you're not the first person that, that has ever felt this way. Matter of fact, the Apostle Paul addresses this issue in this letter that he wrote to the Church of Rome because they must have been dealing with this. I don't know how to pray. I don't know what to say. And he said, some of you feel this way. He actually said, some of you feel like you don't know how or you struggle when it comes to pray, praying because you don't know what to say. And he addresses this specifically in Romans eight twenty six. He says, the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. Matter of fact, when you don't know what to say and you're at a loss for words, he says, the Holy Spirit jumps in and prays on our behalf because he knows the heart of God. He lines up our prayers with the heart of God. Now, I mean, that's an amazing thing. Well, if you struggle with prayer because of any of the reasons I've just mentioned, or it's just this mystery to you, and maybe you don't even know where to begin, or you just have more questions than answers, listen, I've got great news for you. God has got a lot to say about this topic, and you're not alone. You're not alone, all right? Well, Luke tells us, the Apostle Luke tells us, he says, listen, there, there came this moment where the disciples... They begin to have questions about prayer. And in Luke chapter 11, verse 1, it says, Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. All right? Now, we don't know exactly why they asked the question. We don't know what the struggles were or the issues that may have, they may have had regarding prayer. But obviously... Um, they saw that Jesus made prayer a priority. They noticed that after Jesus would preach to large, large crowds, he would slip away and he would pray. After he would have a draining day of ministry, I mean, he would, would, would just withdraw for long periods of time and he would enter into a time of prayer. And so obviously after they watched Jesus' life, they watched his character, they watched the kind of man that he, that he was, they, they witnessed the power of his ministry, they, they watched how his teaching had such you know, power on people, they just connected it to his prayer life. R.C. Sproul says they saw the intimacy that Jesus had with the Father and they made the connection between his prayer and his power. And so they said, Jesus, teach us how to pray. Teach us how to pray the same way that your cousin John the Baptist taught his disciples. Now, in Luke's account of the story, Jesus says, when you pray, pray in this manner. And then he goes immediately into what we know as the Lord's Prayer. However, Matthew gives us a little bit more detail. Jesus doesn't just start teaching the disciples how to pray. He actually starts off by telling them how not to pray. That's one of the things I love about the Gospels. The Gospels, they don't contradict each other. They actually enhance each other. When you, when you lay them on top of each other, you get the full picture. And so Matthew, who's also part of this deal, he, he's, he gives us the account. He said, Jesus, before he went into this prayer, he told us how not to do it. 
Now, I've not heard very many messages in my life, I'll be honest. I heard a lot of messages on the power of prayer, how to pray, why we pray, intimate, but very few on how not to pray. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. If you look in Matthew chapter 6, this, this account is taking place, and it's Matthew's eyewitness version and inspired by God himself. He says, and when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and, on the, and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is, who, who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty Uh, And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask it. So, in answering their request, Jesus begins to address some issues. He addresses these three issues that I think all of us need to take very seriously if we're going to be effective in prayer. And he talks about just three kinds of prayer habits we need to avoid. That we need to just completely say, I'm not going to pray like this. And the very first one is what I'm going to call the phantom prayer. Jesus says these, these words. He says, and when you pray. Now, I'm just going to state the obvious, all right? One of the biggest challenges that we have with prayer is that we just simply don't do it. We just don't pray. When Jesus used the words, when you pray, he was stating something that he felt was, was a given for his followers, He wasn't stating it as an option. He wasn't giving a suggestion. He just simply said, and when you pray. However, there's just a lot of folks that don't. I read a survey um, where where people in a a mainline Christian denomination, I won't name the denomination, they were polled about the issue of prayer. And 25% of the people that answered the questions basically said they never pray, ever. Now, you just think about that for a moment, 25%. And then you add to it the folks who kind of pray sporadically or maybe they have a dull prayer life. And you have a lot of people who are probably struggling with some spiritual anemia. And you think about this. I mean, truly, how could you, think about your own relationships. How could you have an intimate relationship with somebody that you never spend time with? How could you know someone's heart, know the depths of their heart, what they're thinking, what they're feeling, if you never communicate with this person? How could you grow in a deep relationship with another person if you never talk to them or if you never listen to what they had to say? What does it take for most people to come into a moment of prayer or to get serious about prayer? Normally it takes a crisis or a loss or finding out about an illness. I mean, that's all of a sudden when we get to those moments, when the wheels fall off, that's when we begin to engage in prayer. But what, what if we could have this ongoing prayer thing? What if, what if we were already into it? And rather than an ongoing intimate conversation that we've already been having, what happens sometimes is our prayer life becomes about pleading, it becomes about begging, it becomes about trying to cut deals with God. Listen, prayer is an amazing gift. It's an amazing gift that God has given us. And it's an opportunity, think about this, where we get to have a one-on-one conversation with the creator of the universe. We get to experience intimacy with the Almighty, the God, of, the God who created it all, the, who asks us to address Him as Father, who calls us back. He said, you're my friends. And so a lot of, one of the biggest issues we have is just we don't pray. The second thing we need to avoid is what Jesus calls the fake prayer. Jesus tells His disciples, He says, when you pray, don't be fake. Don't be like the hypocrites. Now, 
The term hypocrite, when Jesus used it and in his time, it would have been used to describe a stage actor, right? Someone who would put on a mask and they would pretend to be someone else for the sake of putting on a show or a performance. And Jesus says, these hypocrites, they love to stand up and they love to stand up and pray in church so that everyone can see them. They love to pray on the street corner so that everyone will take notice. Now, who is Jesus talking about here? He's talking very specifically about the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day. And Jesus had several encounters with these jokers, all right? Jesus, in Matthew chapter 15, Jesus calls them out. He says, you're pretenders and you're phonies. He said, you honor God with your lips, but your hearts are far from him. And then in Matthew chapter 23, I mean, he completely takes the gloves off and just goes after these guys. He calls them hypocrites. He calls them blind fools. He calls them whitewashed tombs, which means on the outside, they looked beautiful, scrubbed down. Everything was clean and perfect. But on the inside, he said, you're just full of dead people's bones. Matter of fact, you're nasty. He calls them unclean. That was, I mean, for, for, for a Pharisee to be called unclean back then was about as bad as it could get. And that's why they hated him so much. But Jesus says, don't just, don't pray like them. Don't bow your head in public just to be noticed. Don't huddle up with people just to impress other people. Don't gather in prayer for a photo op. Think about how many times maybe you've heard someone stand up in a church or somewhere publicly or, you know, it's something you've watched on TV. And, 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 and all of a sudden, the tone of their voice changes. And all of a sudden, they become very theological in the words that they said. The vocabulary changes. There's a voice afflection that they didn't have before. And words that we never would understand to impress other people. I'm doing it again. I'm starting to sound like Billy Graham. I don't want to do that. All right? Billy, I'm sorry. Once again, I love you. And I know you're not watching anyways, but that's all right. But, but listen, they're not, they're not thinking about talking to God. They're thinking about making an impression on an audience. And Jesus says, for people that approach prayer that way, guess what? That's your reward. The reward you want was to impress others. The reward for their prayer is not, it's not answers. It's not power. It's not intimacy with God. It's the fact that other people are impressed and they see you as spiritual, even though maybe you're not. Some of you may be going, Brian, you ever had a moment like that? Yeah, I'm sure I have. Probably more than once. And it makes me sick to think about it. But that would be my reward, that people thought maybe I was very spiritual and, and when I was really just wasting my breath. Phantom, uh, phantom prayers are never heard because they're never said. Fake prayers are not answered because they're, not, they're, they're hypocritical. And then Jesus addresses the thoughtless prayer, the frivolous prayer. Jesus says, don't, pl- don't pray like the religious, hypocritical religious leaders. He says, and then don't pray like the Gentiles or the pagans. Now, pagan people would pray to their God, and they, when they would pray, they would use repetition. They would repeat the same prayers over and over and over again. They believe that the more that you repeated a specific prayer, the more magical or powerful that prayer would, pr- prayer would become, and the more likely the gods would, would respond to it. And Jesus said, don't pray like that. It's meaningless repetition. Matter of fact, the phrase meaningless repetition is the Greek word batalegio. And it, if you think about, listen to that word, it's the English word babbling. Jesus says, don't babble. Don't just say the same thing without thought. Now, there's an example of this in the Old Testament. It's one of my favorite stories, and I've actually been to the site where this took place. First Kings chapter 18, it's the time of the prophets, 
And at this particular moment, Elijah is the prophet, and, and, and Israel and Judah was, was just plagued with bad kings. And one of the worst ever was a guy by the name of Ahab. And it wasn't just that he was a bad king. He married a very wicked woman by the name of Jezebel who liked to kill prophets. And there was a drought going on in 1 Kings 18. And Ahab is looking for Elijah. And they have an encounter with each other. And Ahab goes, there you are, you troublemaker. And Elijah goes, I'm not the troublemaker. You're the troublemaker. And they begin to have, you know, and Elijah says, you know what? Why don't we have a showdown? Let's have a showdown. Let's see whose God is strongest. And Ahab goes, all right. So Elijah says, I want, here's what I want you to do. I want you to invite your false prophets, the 450 prophets of Baal. We're going to meet up on top of Mount Carmel, all right? It's like the Thrilla in Manila, all right? Or the Rumble in the Jungle, all right? It is, they're meeting on top of this mountain. And Elijah lays out the ground rules. He says, here's the deal. You build an altar, I'll build an altar, all right? You have a bull, I have a bull, all right? You cut your bull up, you put it on wood, and you put it on the altar, and I'm gonna do the same. And then you're gonna, as a matter of fact, I'll let you go first. You pray to your God, and we'll have a fire showdown, all right? If your God comes down with fire and consumes the bull, we're gonna worship your God. But if my God, he consumes, then we're gonna worship my God. They're like, all right. So they do it. They build an altar, they put wood, they, they, they cut up their bull, they, they make a sacrifice, and they begin to chant and pray. They're like praying the same thing over and over and over, whatever it was that they were praying, it doesn't say. But Elijah's just kind of watching this. It begins in the morning, it goes on for several hours, and they're just, and nothing's happening. And so finally Elijah goes, maybe your God's not listening. Maybe he's on vacation. Maybe he's away from you right now. He says, maybe he's taking a potty break. I'm, it says, maybe he's relieving himself. That's what it says. I mean, he starts to mess with them. Well, they just get just all tore up. I mean, now, the, now this guy's messing with them. The Bible says they begin to go into a frenzy of prayer. And they begin to cut themselves with knives. There's some crazy folks, all right? And nothing happens. And Elijah goes, okay, enough of this. You've had your moment. And all of a sudden, Elijah walks over. They had torn down the, the, the altar to God. And Elijah takes 12 stones to represent the 12... Tr- 12 tribes of Israel, he builds up the altar, puts the ox on the, on, the, uh, on, on, on the altar, and he says, no wood. He says, matter of fact, what I want to do, build a trench around this that will hold three gallons of water, and I want you to take jars full of water, and I want you to dump them on the bull, and I want you to do it three times. And it was so much that it filled up the trenches. And Elijah just stood back, and here's what he said, just real simply. He said, oh Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Prove today that you, you are God in Israel and that I am your servant. Prove right now that I have done all of this at your command. Oh, Lord, answer me. Answer me so that these people will know that you, oh, Lord, are God and that you have brought them back to yourself. And at that very moment, fire comes down. It consumes the bull, consumes the altar, consumes, I mean, sucks up all the water. I mean, everything in sight. And Elijah says, gather up the prophets and they take them down to the river and they kill them. Now, why is this story in the Bible? Well, I think one reason is it's to show that long mechanical rantings are just not required to request help from God. Long derived prayer, they're they're just not necessary to come into God's presence. And 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 here's Jesus with his disciples and he's just making a simple point. He says, don't pray frivolous prayers. Do not pray prayers that have no thought or emotion behind them. And do not annoy God with just meaningless words. 
And so if you're a child of God, you don't have to annoy God to get his attention. You don't have to go into a frenzy. You don't have to pray frivolous prayers. At at the same time, he's he's saying, listen, he's not listening. The rote prayers, the, the prayers with no meaning or thought behind them, God's not listening to those. John Bunyan says, in prayer, it's better to have heart without words than words without heart. I want you to think about the times that you pray, all right? Think about it for just a moment. Think about your mealtime prayers. Why do you do that? Is it just because you feel like if you don't do it, you're going to choke on your broccoli, that God's going to not, he's not going to bless the food that you just ate and you're going to get sick and all. I mean, people believe that. Why do you pray there? Before you go to bed with your kids, I mean, why are you saying those prayers? Why, I mean, and here's the deal. Do, do your prayers have meaning? Is there guilt involved in your prayers? Or are you just trying to get attention sometimes? See, prayer is about connecting with the heart of God. It's about a relationship. It's about intimacy. It's about, it's not about mechanics. It's not about repetition. Jesus says, listen, instead of being phony when you pray or offering up prayers with no heart behind them, he says, here's what I, what I would suggest is go somewhere private, shut the door, pray to God and trusting and knowing that our father knows what we need even before we ask it. Now, He is not saying here, disregard public prayer. He's not saying, don't gather on the 50-yard line with your team and pray. pray. He's not saying that, all right? Because, I mean, Jesus prayed in public. His disciples prayed in public. The church, early church, they prayed in public. What Jesus, Jesus is doing here is he's challenging our motives. He's challenging our motives. He's, it's about authenticity. It's about heart. It's about intimacy. It's about focusing on him alone. And so Jesus says, when we pray, when we pray like this, where, where our, we get away and it's, and it's just us and God and, it, and it's silent and secret. He says, when you pray like that, or if, even if you pray publicly, if, if the heart's right, there, God will reward us. Now, what's the reward? Because that's what we're interested in. We want to know when we pray, what's going to happen? Our prayer's going to be answered? Are we going to have power in our lives? Hopefully. All right. Is there going to be intimacy? Yes. But that's not the greatest reward of prayer. You say, what is the greatest reward of prayer? Please get this. It's God's presence. It's his presence. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 16 says, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We talked about this several times over the last several weeks that because of what Jesus has accomplished on the cross, as his followers, we can walk into God's presence and we can approach God with courage and boldness and confidence. We can walk into God's presence without fear, without shame, and we can speak openly. We can talk, we can speak truthfully we can be authentic. He knows our hearts. He knows what we've done. He already knows what we're going to even ask for. We don't have to be something that we're not. God receives us into his presence. And the Bible says that when we come into his presence, what do we find? We find grace and mercy. I love this. The creator longs to be with the created. And now listen, now listen this is not about two homeboys hanging out together, okay? Don't get that. There is respect. There is honor. There's a definite sense of awe when we come into God's presence, but it's about a father wanting to spend time with his children. It's a relationship. It's intimate. It, and see, that's the greatest reward of prayer. We get to be with the creator and the ruler of the universe. 
Tony Evans says that prayer is a regular commitment with God in which committed believers develop an intimate fellowship with their father. So, Brian, what about the answers? I want to know how to get the prayers answered. I'm desperate. I need answers. Brian, what about, what about the power? I want the power that comes from prayer. What about, what about just tell me what to say. I don't even know where to begin. I don't even know. How, how, do, how do I make sure I'm saying the right words? Listen, we're going to cover all that stuff over the next several weeks. We're going to look at the Lord's Prayer and see what Jesus said about all of those issues. But I, want, I wanted to start off this series by laying down some perspective. Okay? And the very first thing is, let's pray. Let's pray. Prayer shows our dependence on God. It states that we really truly believe that nothing of eternal significance happens apart from prayer. And so, if you're not praying, my, my first challenge to you is just start. Just start. Just start talking. Have that moment with God. Truly grab that nothing, the thought that nothing of eternal significance happens apart from prayer. And then, when we pray, listen, don't, don't give God lip service. Think about what you're doing. Don't, don't offer up thoughtless prayers. Don't let your prayer also come out of guilt, come out of a sense of duty or even a sense of pride. Let it come from a heart. You just simply, you're, you're, you've got this now. You just simply want to be in God's presence. You want to spend time there. Because here's the deal. If we're ever going to be consistent and powerful and healthy in prayer, we can't lose perspective that on the greatest reward that prayer offers to us. The undeserved, the unworthy get the amazing opportunity to come into the presence of the Creator, the Savior, the Almighty, the Ruler of the universe, and we get to speak directly to Him. That, man, that, that right there alone is an amazing thing. Um, when, I, when I was growing up, um, a good part of my early years of my life were spent in this house right here up on the screen. And um, I grew up, this is a little house in Redford Township, Michigan. If you've ever been to the north, outside of a major city or in the northeast, a lot of the homes look just like this. This is just a tiny little house, 9937 Norborn, Redford Township, Michigan, about a mile and a half from the Detroit line. And um, I lived in this little house from 1969 to 1980. And um, when my, my dad trusted Christ in 1976, to be, he trusted Christ to be a savior. And I'll tell you what, when he, when he became a Christ follower, it was a radical change. I mean, he jumped in with both feet. And in this little house, I want to tell you a little story about this house. A couple years ago, um, my brother and I went to Michigan to hang out with some of our relatives and to go see a Michigan football game. And so we decided, well, let's go over and see the old house. We have so many great memories of being in that house and our f- friendships and, you know, just love that little house. And... Um, so we drove, we drove up to the house and we started taking pictures. And then we drove to the end of the street. We thought, we'll just take off. And they said, no, let's go see it again. Turned around the little end of the street, came back by, and we thought, we'll just take another picture. Well, when we did, the owner of this house is standing on the porch taking pictures of us. <laughs> I'm like, what, what's going on? So I thought, okay, I'm going to roll down the window and tell them what we're doing. And I said, hey, I said, um, we used to live in this house. That's why we're taking pictures. And he said, he goes, oh, I thought you were my wife's lawyers. <laughs> so we just said, no, we lived in this house from 69 to 80. We have great memories of it and the whole thing. And he goes, well, you want to come in? We're like, yeah. 
You know, I mean, how many, you think about a house you grew up in, wouldn't you love to just go back there? And we did. We got out of the car, and I'm sitting here going, I don't know if this guy's a murderer. Why does his wife have a lawyer? I mean, it's just, well, we got into the house, and um, man, he just said, just walk around, go anywhere you want. And so, man, I'm walking into my old bedroom, my brother's walking into his, and we walked downstairs into the basement, and I remember walking down there going, man, this is so tiny. And why was I so afraid of the dark in this basement, you know? And um, so many great memories in that house. And then we began to walk up the stairs, little narrow staircase that went up into the second story of this house. And I mean, it's one of those rooms upstairs that my parents had their bedroom in. And you literally have to kind of walk like this because there's not a lot of headroom up there. And, but as we walked up this, the narrow stairs to the right, about this high off the ground, or maybe about that high, there was a door. And um, I, I, I opened the door, and when my dad became a follower of Christ, and he, I mean, he was so, I mean, just jumped in. He made that little storage area, it was a little, little closet, he made that our prayer room. When we wanted to escape, and it was tough to escape in this house because it was so small, we would walk up the stairs and we would climb up into that little closet, and he put our family prayer request thing on there, he put a couple pictures of missionaries, And I mean, he said, guys, when you want to get away and you just want to spend time in God's presence and really just have a moment with him. So, man, we're walking up the stairs and I mean, and he put this nasty 70s shag carpet in there too. And I I opened it up and there was that shag carpet still in there and the guy put boxes. He had no clue. And man, I just opened that door and I thought, this is where I learned how to pray. This is where I learned to value the presence of God. And I really started understanding the power and the intimacy that comes from just having a moment where it's just you and God. I, as a middle schooler, was I saying all the right stuff? Who knows? But I, the Holy Spirit was, he was interpreting on my behalf to God the Father. And I can't tell you how many times, I mean, I, you know, I would just go up there, climb up into that little closet and just sit down, little light on. Man, I would just sit there and pray, and pray as a middle schooler. Listen, We get to come into the presence of the Father, the ruler, the Almighty. And he wants to have a relationship with us that way. Is there power? Is there answers? I mean, there's all that stuff that comes. But man, his presence. And he says, when you do, I mean, there's peace there. You find grace, you find mercy. You know, your world's going crazy. Man, just come into the presence. Sometimes you don't have to say anything. There have been moments where I've just said, God, even now, I just say, God, I don't have the words. I don't have the words. And I just trust the Holy Spirit's saying, I do. And when it gets to the, to the Father, they're all going to be worked out. He'll understand. So here's what I want to do. Um, I know for a lot of you, maybe you've never prayed before. Um, for some of you, it's been a long time. I mean, it's been so long since you prayed. When, when you bow your head, you may have to introduce yourself. Uh, I'm just kidding. But we're going to take some time in God's presence. And so I want you, for if you can, just to bow your head, close your eyes, because we can hopefully zone everyone else out when we do that. And I want you just to take a moment and just settle yourself down. Stop thinking about lunch. Stop thinking about the ball game you've got to get to or anything else that's going on in the day. And I want you to just to know at this very moment, 
And you have been since you walked in this place. But I want you to know at this moment, you are in the presence of the Almighty, the creator of the universe. And he's longing to talk with you, to relate, to have, have, have a relationship, a fellowship with you at this moment, intimacy. So some of you may not know where to start or begin. For, you just need to settle yourself now. And let yourself be in his presence. Trust the Holy Spirit will just engage if you don't know what to say or even if you feel like you're saying it wrong. It's okay. Some of you may need to begin with the, a moment of repentance because it's, it's, you are so, you're away from God. It's been such a long time. And you just maybe just need to throw, throw some things out to God and say, God, I, yeah, I want you to know I've been away from you. It's been such a long time since we talked. Since, we, since I talked to you, since we've had a moment like this. And Lord, I've been prideful. I've been impatient. I've just stopped trusting you. I've just, and maybe that's what needs to happen at this moment. And the great thing is the Bible says that when we come to the Lord with our sin and, and our wrongdoings, he is faithful and just to forgive those things. So let's just take a moment. Just do that. Clear the deck. Clean the slate. Let God do that. Trust that he will. Now just thank him. I want you to think of everything you can. Your, your, your marriage, your kids, your church. I mean, everything, that, maybe things that we take for granted that we don't even think of. Just thank him. Tell him you love him. Thank him for what he's done in your life. Maybe you're struggling with this right now, this moment, because there's so much struggle going on. But listen, we know that when we come to the Lord with thanksgiving, even when we have anxious hearts. Philippians tells us that the peace of God that passes all understanding will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And so out of that, where that peace comes from is, is a heart of thankfulness where our, our spirit of anxiety and stress just kind of melts away and worry just goes, all right, not gonna be here. So just thank him. I know some of you are overwhelmed with needs. I and mean, there's some, I, just looking at this crowd, I know some of, some of the things that some of you are dealing with. And I just want you to pour that out to the Father right now and know that he cares. Know that he's concerned. He's been engaged. He knows what you're gonna say even before you ask it. But he wants, prayer is, is so much about showing God that we're dependent upon him. Just pour it out. Name names. Pray for your husband, your wife. Pray for your kids. Pray for your friendships if there's issues or just, maybe there's not, but you just want to pray for a friend right now. As we are in the presence of, of God, the Almighty, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, I want you to pray as well for our church. I want you to pray for the finances of our church. I want you to pray for our staff. I want you to pray for 
our influence in this community. Our pastors, I want you to just pray for this church, if you would, and the community around us. I want you to pray for your neighbors, those that don't know Christ as their Savior, that they would come to that knowledge. Lord, we're we're just grateful to have such an amazing gift called prayer. Prayer truly is a miracle. The unworthy, the undeserved get to come into the presence of the Almighty, the creator, the ruler of the universe. And we get to just share our hearts with you. And Lord, when we listen or we open up your word, we get to hear back from you. I thank you for this gift. Lord, it's, in many ways, it's such a mystery. But Lord, because the veil's been torn, we get to walk into the presence of the Almighty with boldness and confidence and we're promised grace and mercy. I can't thank you enough for that. Help us to just learn more over the next many weeks, Lord, this amazing gift that we have prayer and how to, how to use it, Lord, for your glory how to engage it, Lord, for our good. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.